record on that phone so that I um, record the message. Um, the other thing I had to do was that. And the other thing I have to do is pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I understand that my words um, don't actually mean anything, but uh, you take our words, Lord, and um, you combine them with your gospel, the good news of Christ, and you write them into our hearts. And I pray this morning that, uh, that you would um, give me the words to speak that would be your words and not my words, Lord. And I pray that you would give us uh, thankful receiving hearts to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so on, on that, if you can't hear me, just sing out and um, let, I have a tendency to drop my voice a bit. So. Um, let's read, um, I'm just going to read Galatians chapter 5 verses 13 to 26. So last week, Derek, not last week, last fortnight, Derek preached on the verses just before this, right? Um, so it goes on, it says, You, my brothers, were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Um, by the way, this morning as I um, talk, if there's any questions, be feel free to interject or um, to ask a question if um, there's something that's difficult to understand. Um, are there any words in that reading there that actually are confusing or difficult? Anything that struck you? So, um, yeah, this week we're looking at the second half of Galatians 5. And um, last week, um, Derek talked about uh, freedom and he talked about protecting ourselves from going into the slavery um, of living under legalism. Uh, He talked about the little laws that we make up and 
and that we, we use to try and make ourselves good with God. And he was saying that these little laws that we make up are like a yoke of slavery. Um, they become a set of rules that rule over us. And uh, scripture tells us that if we do this, then Jesus actually doesn't have any value in our lives at all. Um, and that's a very sobering thought, actually. Um, so I, I kind of thought to myself what those sorts of things might be, and um, I thought sometimes we say to ourselves, I, I will never do that thing, whatever that thing is. We have a little standard that we will never do. Um, and, and sometimes we take extreme pride in the fact that we don't uh, stoop to doing that. One um, that I uh, hear people say is, um, I'll never back out on a commitment that I've made. If I said I'm going to do this, then I'm going to honour it and I'm going to take it through. That's a good thing to do, by the way. It's not a bad thing to do. But um, somehow it sneaks in to our thinking that we think that if we do that, then God must like us all the more. Often the thing that we hold dear in our little precious moral compass in some years to come turns around and bites us. We actually fall for it. Um, I think of a mate of mine who told me that his dad said once in a moment of pride and, and, and this guy has a, a, a transport company and uh, he said, you know, in all the years we've been running this business we've had accidents and stuff but no one's ever been killed and that was kind of his little his, his little pedestal to stand on if you like it was his little moment of pride that was kind of his level as that he was really proud of that and unfortunately one day it happened one day a crane truck lost control <coughs> on a slippery road and had a head on with somebody and they were killed how do you cope with that and my guess is you, you've got two options. You're, you're either broken and you're guilty or you actually have to readjust your standards because they're standards that you've written. They're not standards that God's written. And, and, and to, to go on and live life without God, you have to either make some adjustment or it's going to crush you. The other way we like to set our standards is to say well yeah I've got some things wrong with me but at least I'm better than rogues or at least I'm better than somebody else I don't do what somebody else does and compare ourselves with somebody else um, but in this passage Paul gives a very stern warning uh, to the Galatians or actually in this book of Galatians he says um, you who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. And in Galatians 3.10 it says, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. And then in verse 11 it says, Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. 
So the law of God was never given so that by obeying them, we might be good with God. If you remember, the law wasn't given until Moses. Abraham had a covenant with God much before that, which was actually a covenant of faith. And as the law uh, came to Moses, because people were disobedient and rebellious, they, the law was given to show what God's like and against what he's not like. It shows us, it reveals to us our sin. The problem with trying to be right with God through the law is that to do it, we have to obey all of it. And even the Ten Commandments, just simply to love God and Him only, I fail. In fact, I fail on every one, especially when it comes at me that the intent of those commandments is the attitude of my heart. It says, don't kill. I don't think I've killed anybody, but um, Jesus actually said, if you hate your brother, that's like killing someone. And so we just, we cannot live on a set of rules because we break them. The good news is that Jesus came to this earth and he lived the life that we should have lived. He actually lived the life that obeyed all of God's law. He fulfilled it. He lived perfectly. And at a real time in history, at a place called um, Golgotha, or Calvary is the Latin word for it, uh, which means the skull, he died on a cross in our place. He had our sins on his shoulders and in Luke, uh, sorry, in uh, 1 John 2 verse 2, it says he's the propitiation for our sins. Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. He swapped his life for ours. He lived the way that we should have. And the reward that he deserved, he gave to us. And because of this, God's anger against sin against you and me, has actually been dealt with through the cross. It's extinguished. And that's what the word propitiation means. The obvious question is, what's the catch? There's got to be a catch. There has to be a catch. And the catch is, there's no catch. The catch is, he just wants us to trust him in that. The righteous will live by faith. It is so simple, it's hard to understand. It is so, in one sense, easy because we don't even have to achieve anything. That very intellectual people sometimes go, surely there must be something I've got to do. It's not good enough for me just to trust But it's all been paid for. It's all forgiven and it's a gift we receive by faith. This is the heart of Christianity. Do not believe anybody that tells you differently. Scripture is very clear on this. So, um, God's 
amazing gift of grace is so wonderful that it must ask the question. It must ask the question, if my sins are obliterated, even my future sins, even the ones that happen tomorrow, does it actually matter if I keep on sinning? And this is where we pick up today. Paul addresses this question in in verse 13. He says, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh or the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Um, If you're a Christian, because of the death of Jesus... Because of his death and his resurrection, three things have already happened to you. One is your sins are forgiven. The second thing is that you have received the righteousness of Christ. That means you've received a right relationship with God. And because God's um, actually perfectly holy, then to receive a right relationship with him You have to be washed clean and made holy. And Jesus' death on the cross does that. If you are a Christian, if you trust in him, that has already happened. Um, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11 says, But you were washed, you were sanctified. Um, That means you were made holy and you're set apart for his purpose. Uh, It says you were justified. Justified means just as if I'd never ever sinned. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. The third thing, and what I want to talk about today, is that we have the seal of the Holy Spirit. Um, God keeps his promises. Now, back in the old days, um, when you got a letter from an important person or the king, it had a, like a seal on it. And that seal did two things. One is that it told you who it came from. It's come from a reputable source. Only the king had the seal that could stamp a letter and make a little wax stamp and say, so you knew that was the seal of the king. The other thing the seal did is that it actually, you know, you fold it over and you put the seal on, it holds it closed. It means it hasn't been tampered with. It means it's been given to you in its original form. God's seal of the Holy Spirit on his people is for those same two reasons. It's so that we know that having the promise of our sins forgiven through Jesus Christ is really a promise from Almighty God. It's not a promise from a man or a person. And the second thing is, it's a promise that can be trusted. We don't have to earn the seal and we don't have to wonder, have we done enough? Have we actually been good enough to deserve this precious gift of salvation? Um, Galatians 5.18, it's up there, it says... um, Uh, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Uh, And in Romans 6 verse 14, another part of the Bible, it says, you're not under the law, but you're under grace. You're not under law. Um, If 
Funny thing happened to me during the floods. Um, all the, the, the waters come up, roads are closed. Um, everybody that was in Duran was pretty much locked in Duran. Um, the, the sign for the road closed is, is about five metres inside my turn, on the Duran side of my turn off, right? So I come out the driveway and I look down and I go, yep, that road's closed, no one can get through that because I know it's running about that high and it's running really fast. And, and so I drive down the road. And I have this, um, this thought, if, if that road's closed and the two police are in Duran Bandy, then there's no one out there to book me if I speed. Okay, yeah, it's a weird way my, work, my mind works, but just run with me on this. And so I'm out there and I'm thinking, you know what, just for fun, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see how fast this cruiser can go. I'm going to take a photo of that speedo and I'm going to put it on Snapchat. Anyway, that wasn't the right thing to do, but I found out later. But I had this, what I'm trying to get across to you, I had this feeling, this sense that the law, right, the at the police station, the law was locked in Deer and Bandy and it couldn't get out. It was not over me at that point. There was no way some police officer from Deer and Bandy was going to book me at that moment. Bit of a false sense of security because there could have been police coming down from Thallon or St George or anywhere. That was, but, but can you just see the logic just for a second that I thought this, the law has no hold on me. Okay, just hold that as a thought in your mind. If we are under God's spirit, this is what Paul says here, if we are under God's spirit, we are not under God's law. Okay. I still ask the question, can we still go and do stupid things? Um, because if we're actually going to act in love as we see the car coming the other way we're actually going to back right off because that would be very unloving to be dangerously speeding there's also another thought that came into my mind and i thought if i actually love my wife and my family i'm going to slow down because if i have an accident and hurt myself or kill myself that's actually not an act of love to them so actually love ended up controlling what i did and not the law So the law that said, you lied, you stole, you didn't act in a nice way, you've heard it all, actually has no hold on you because we're given the not guilty pardon if we trust in Jesus. We're called to be free. So we don't put ourselves back under those laws. They actually don't apply to Christian people. Now this is so hard for me to get my head around this. It is so hard that the law of God does not, we're not under it. Christian people are not under it. God's law is actually good things. It's things like love your wife. It's things like don't commit adultery. It's things like don't steal. It's things like honour God. Um, But we don't come under those laws.
And Paul says that uh, freedom is not something that we use to get away from God, but freedom is something that we actually use to be in God, to be close to God. As we go towards God, we find ourselves in verse 22. Uh, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. When we don't trust in him, we find ourselves in things that are the opposite of his character, like in verse 19. And Paul says, these things are obvious. And at a first glance, I can kind of look at them and I go, yeah, no, that don't really apply to me. Um, Perhaps, except for, well, a few actually. Might have had a fit of rage in the cattle yards. Um, I might have been jealous of somebody. I might have hated somebody Um, I might have actually been idolatrous, I might have put something before God um, and on it goes and at the end it says I warn you as I did before that those that live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God any questions about that verse? It's kind of saying the opposite to what I've been saying a minute ago, doesn't it? It kind of says, you're not under law, but if you do those things, you actually don't get what's promised. How does that figure out? And um, it's actually not that these sins are so bad they're unforgivable because we read in lots of places in the scripture that the death of Jesus pays for all sin, not just some of them. What Paul's getting at is that he's saying, now where is it? Um, Okay, the bottom in verse 21, those who live like this, okay? That's not those who slip up. That's those who live in that. Those that live like this is actually a really good sign that their heart hasn't been transformed by the gospel. It's a really good sign that they're actually not exercising faith in God. It's a really good sign that their lives haven't been transformed. There's actually a much bigger problem here than individual sin And that is that the heart doesn't trust Jesus. And it's not being led by the Holy Spirit. Um, Verse 17 says um, that the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the spirit. And the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you don't do what you want. So in every Christian there's a war going on. Sometimes when you... for some people, when they first become a Christian, there's actually a lot of victory in that war. And as we go on and live our Christian life, sometimes that war kind of 
pops back up again. We have this, this conflict that um, it's like God's trying to pull us one way and like our evil desires are trying to pull us the other way. And I want you to note here what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say you've got to try really, really hard to stop doing evil stuff. That is not the key. The key to winning the battle is to be led by his Holy Spirit. Verse 16 says, um, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. God's Holy Spirit, uh, God's in three persons, three parts. He's Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. And the importance of Jesus' resurrection is it meant that the Holy Spirit can come and live with us. The Holy Spirit is kind of like the desires and the thoughts of God transferred to us by a real person, the Holy Spirit. He's our guide. Um, And so the Holy Spirit, being God himself, will never lead us into into the sinful nature. He will always lead us in the fruit of the Spirit. And fruit of the Spirit is kind of a bit like fruit that grows on a tree. Um, It grows. It develops over time. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, the branch that bears the fruit actually doesn't have a lot of control over bearing the fruit. It's the inputs that go into the plant. We have to be led by the Holy Spirit. And in our battle with sin, I th- for me, the hardest thing is to look to God, the one that we've betrayed. But we must. And I think that the reason that Paul goes to such great lengths in his writings to show us of God's mercy and his grace is so that we do look to him. It goes against the grain. In our battle with sin, we shouldn't look down in embarrassment, but we should look boldly to God, knowing our sins are forgiven. And I think, as I read through this passage, kind of... uh, Verse 18, I think, emphasises that point. It's, it's put in there and it's almost out of context. And, um, you know, I think if I just took verse 18 out, 17 would flow a lot better on to 19, but it's kind of it's like a little stark boom in there. What's going on? And I don't think it was put in by mistake. Right in the middle of talking about um, the war between the flesh and the spirit and, and also describing what that works of the flesh looks like, There's a stark reminder for the Christian. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. If you put yourself under the law, the sinful flesh will flourish. And the Christian, however, is not judged or convicted by the law, even though the law itself is good and even though the law came from God himself. And he says uh, it, can be, it can be summed up in one single command. Love your neighbour as yourself. 
if you take that simple command, um, it's actually not that easy to keep all the time. But every time we break it, we're actually not under that law, but we're being led by the Spirit. And, and the Spirit leads us back into the centre of that command to love one, to love one another. So um, being led by the, the, the Holy Spirit is actually not lawlessness. As I started this talk and we're talking about not being under law, it kind of sounds like, well, you can do whatever you like. But if you're being guided by the Holy Spirit, he's going to lead you back into the good things. He's going to lead you back into the good things of God. Another a, a question that I thought of are we still righteous even though we sin? Because we don't feel righteous. But we cling to the promises of God. We actually are righteous. We were made righteous. The, the blood of Jesus, his death on the cross, actually paid for our righteousness. And we've given it to us as a gift. These are things that I personally find it easy to forget. I find it very easy to think I've got to earn my righteousness and as I forget it I turn to my sinful nature but as I follow the spirit I find that he leads me into his pace and patience and love and joy Um, it's pretty interesting when we look at the two verses of, say, 19 to 21, uh, listing the things that are not of God, and we look at um, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. They're kind of opposites, actually. Um, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery are actually love turned on its head. Lost it. Um, there you go. Um, uh, and if we look through them, we actually find that, that a lot of the things are the opposite of the good things of God. And that's what Satan does. He turns God's good stuff upside down, pretends that it's good, and tries to convince us that it is. Um, in this passage, there are two phrases that describes a Christian's life in the Holy Spirit. Uh, the first one is to be led by the Spirit. And um, I kind of, as I think about that, I think about um, how we might lead a horse. But there's actually no rein or bridle. We actually are being led. We follow. That kind of indicates a humility that we're prepared to put our own life and our own desires aside and be led by, be led by Christ. The other uh, word... Uh, it says, um, keep in step with the Spirit. Um, does it say that? Keep in step? 25. Um, yeah, keep in step. So keep in step is um, interesting because it actually indicates that we have to make a step. And it's not the step toward God, it's the step 
of keeping with the Holy Spirit. There's, a, there's, a, there's actually an outworking of our faith. And there's always an outworking of, of, of trust. If you trust someone, there's always something that's going, to, that's going to result from that. If you trusted me and I said, this roof's going to fall in in 10 seconds, the building's going to be empty. And the ones that don't trust me are still going to be in here. That's how faith works. If we trust God, something's going to happen. We're actually going to follow his leading. So verse 24 says that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nation, no, nature with its passions and desires. And in the light of this passage today, I think that it, and in, in Paul's context of Galatians, it means we give up self-righteousness. It means we give up the thought that we could be judged right by something that we do. And we latch on to faith in his son, Jesus Christ. For me personally, um, to walk by the Spirit or to keep in step by the Spirit means um, four things. Uh, It means that he leads me into righteousness. God's character is evident through his Holy Spirit. The second thing is he's my helper. Um, I often think of um, Curly at men's group when we say, when someone, you'll say, just ask God to show you the way. He will. God's our helper. Um, The third thing, the Holy Spirit is my defender. He defends me. He's the one that says to me, no, Jesus' death was enough to save you. The sins that you think are so abhorrent, the sins that you think are worse than everybody else's, have been washed clean. And as we accept faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit reminds us of that. And uh, he's my guide. He's my help in daily life, fourth thing. Mostly I don't think God gives me minute by minute do this, do that, work me like a puppet. Um, Mostly he leads me into the fruit of his Holy Spirit. He leads me into ways of love and joy and peace, etc. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for Jesus. And I want to thank you that because, he's, because he rose, you gave us your gift of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would touch us today. Father, if we haven't crucified the sinful nature, I pray that you would let us do that today, right now. Lord, that we would just put that to death and ask you for life. That we would be born anew. That you would fill us with your righteousness.
that you would fill us with your goodness. Father, you say that we can ask for more of your spirit and you will not withhold it. I pray, Father, that like that little child who asks and asks, that we would ask you and that you would give us your Holy Spirit to live, uh, to work, uh, to your praise and to your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Where the Spirit of the Lord is that correct? Yeah.